Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Nate Abaurea. Get at me on Twitter at NateWST. Find all of us at World Soccer Talk. Thanks for subscribing to the show on iTunes. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes when you get a chance. Tune in, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, the American Forces Network, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. However you are listening to us, Thank you for making us a part of your daily plans, either live or in podcast form. We've got a real special treat for you today. A couple of legends, just a, just a casual Friday show with a couple of legends of American soccer, a couple of the great American players to apply their trade in the Premier League in England, and a couple of gentlemen with some big-time connections to the city of Columbus, the state of Ohio, and that team known as the Columbus Crew, who are, of course, going to be taking the field on Sunday afternoon against the Portland Timbers in the MLS Cup Final. Who do we got today? Brian McBride and Brad Friedel. That's right, one of the greatest forwards in the history of the American national team and one of the greatest goalkeepers in the history of the U.S. men's national team. McBride and Friedel, both of whom played for the Columbus crew in that inaugural MLS season. Brad, actually, the Ohio native, so we'll talk a little bit more with Brad about the uh, the growth of soccer in the state of Ohio and also how we'll talk with both of these guys, how unexpected it was for Columbus to become this mecca of American soccer and all the, the folklore connected with with Columbus and the Dos Acero against Mexico and, and the tradition of these World Cup qualifiers in Columbus, Ohio, the first soccer specific stadium in Major League Soccer there at Crew Stadium. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, and I cannot wait to talk with both Brian McBride and Brad Friedel about what Columbus means to them. We'll talk a little bit more about MLS Cup with both of those gentlemen as well. Get Brian McBride's keys to this game. Brian, a man who is very, very high on Fernando Adi and Darlington Nagby. Darlington Nagby, by the way, an Ohio native. Let's not uh, forget about that. Also, Brad uh, conducting or being a part of the Tottenham Hotspur America Cup actually out in Maryland this weekend. Big Tottenham influence on the show here this week. So it continues, all you Spurs supporters, talk a little bit about Brad's involvement with the Tottenham Hotspur America Cup. Stick around. Let's do this thing. Brian McBride with us on the other side of this break. Brad Friedel with us a little bit later. USA, USA, baby. And a little Columbus mixed in there as well. Stay tuned. 
And now, more of World Soccer Talk Radio, right here on Sports Byline and SportsByline.com. Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio. My name is Nate Abarea, joined again by Mr. Brian McBride. And Brian, I think after the interview that we did last time, I think this time we're not going to be dealing with fire alarms in, in hotel rooms. But I don't want to count any chickens before they're hatched here. That's right. We're, we're hopeful. That's all we can do. We're sitting, I am sitting here in the lobby in a hotel, though. So this, it is a possibility. <laughs> hey, so uh, tell us, tell us first off before we get into MLS Cup, and then I want to take actually a trip to trip to Columbus and your days with the crew, and then talk a little bit uh, about your time in the city of Liverpool, uh, where where you played for Everton for for quite a while. And but first, tell us about the Allstate Good Hands FC program. Tell the listeners what it is and and how you're involved. Yeah, my pleasure. Um... So the Allstate Good Hands program is it's a program of, of sort of outreach into communities that um, that the soccer has a presence, whether it's MLS or, um, you know, this summer we did some Gold Cup stuff. It's basically a way for Allstate to show that um, they're not just a name and, and support. They actually want to get down to the grassroots level. They want to support uh, youth soccer uh, in a way that is unique. And what we get a chance to do is uh, we'll go and surprise a local club uh, later today, um, put on a little clinic and uh, play some games, give some prizes away, and at the end, um, Allstate uh, provides new gear, new soccer gear, and then uh, the main surprise, the, bit, the bigger surprise now, especially that, that here in Columbus, will be two tickets to the final. So um should be a great event, and it's something I'm very proud to be a part of. Uh, tell us uh, as far as the the actual match at hand and and the cultures coming together from Portland and Columbus with the supporters and and the the city of Columbus, a place that is so near and dear to your heart. What are you most looking forward to about Sunday, about this MLS Cup final between Portland and Columbus? Well, I mean, I think on the field, I uh, expect a, a very exciting game. You've got two teams that are open um, that that love to press the ball defensively, but are expansive going forward. Um, and off the field, I think yeah, I'm really excited about the, the opportunity to see an, uh, a final with an atmosphere. And when I say that, I mean, you know, there's going to be mostly uh, fans from either Columbus or Portland here. I think it's a great thing that it's, it's been awarded to uh, the team that is in the competition with the highest seeding uh, and shows more incentive, gives more incentive for the regular season. Well, absolutely. And, and talk a little bit more about what the city of Columbus means to you and, and you as a, as a soccer player and, and just as a man. Speak, speak to, to what Columbus means to Brian McBride. Well, it's, uh, it's a place where I grew up, um, not, not in, the, in the growing up sense, but in the professional soccer sense. And um, it allowed me the opportunity, afforded me the, the ability to, to learn and understand the game. Um, playing and, and practicing soccer day in and day out. Um, the city itself was gave me the opportunity to become a man, become a, a person that um, I can, you know, not only look at and, and say that I'm proud to uh, see how things have gone, but also um, learning through the, the presence of um, uh, a town that is supportive of family and people and um there was 
something that, that I know certainly helped me in my career, but also helped me uh, in my growth as a person. Well, I mean, when you look back on, on your career in, in Columbus, the, the time that you spent with the crew going back to the, the inaugural season of Major League Soccer and running all the way to, to 2003 in, in a, a crew uniform, did you ever imagine in 96 or 97, just in the late 90s, that Columbus, where you were playing for this MLS side, that Columbus, Ohio would become this mecca of American soccer and have all this folklore connected to it with the Dos Acero and, and the, the Mexico matches? I mean, was that, was that ever something that, that crossed your mind, that Columbus, Ohio would become this, this American soccer mecca? I think everybody dreamt of it not, not i think it's it surpassed it for sure but i think everybody dreamt that um you know columbus being so embracing of of the crew from the get-go that it could be a special soccer town um but it's certainly grown into something that uh, i don't think anybody can deny is uh, is a special place with it being the first uh soccer specific stadium uh you touched on the dose of zero zero um games and that folklore there um and it's just it's a place that you know there's there's only one other professional team in the blue jackets and they came after so for the longest time it's been all about the buckeyes and when the crew came you know there was a focus and a a, a pride that has been taken upon by the people of columbus and the city itself and um certainly one that i was a proud i was very proud to be a part of what are some of your favorite memories in a, in a Columbus crew uniform, Brian? Gosh, um, uh, you know, the open cup, of course, winning a trophy is, is always, uh, probably the biggest thing, biggest standout. So that's going to be first and foremost. I remember, uh, running out on the, uh, on the Ohio state's football stadium field, the horseshoe now called the shoe. Um, and, uh, for the first game scene, just the the support that was there, and then you know we had one comeback game that season where the the fans just basically uh, rushed the field, and uh, those are things that sort of stand out quickly as I'm sitting here talking. But for me as a person, um, you know the the fact that the city allowed me to sort of be involved and get into the community, whether it's through charitable stuff or um, just being uh, a part of, of um, a family atmosphere, uh, something I'll always remember. Now, tying this all back to MLS Cup final here this Sunday between the aforementioned Columbus crew and the Portland Timbers, you're doing a, a whole lot of media work going into this thing. How hard is it to to, to be bipartisan here, to, to stay <laughs> neutral for a match featuring a club and a city that means so much to you? Well, the nice thing about being here with Allstate is I'm not here with uh, a media uh, company where I do have to be uh, unbiased. I think, you know, there's certainly some bias and, and you know, still the, the, the crew treat me very well when, when I do come back. Um, but even if, I'm, if I am going to be unbiased, I think that the, the game itself is going to be, uh, I would imagine, even though it's a final, I think it's going to be a pretty open game. I think you look at um, what uh, Portland and, and Columbus both have on offer defensively. They are very much uh, teams that work together very well. Uh, they condense the midfield. They want a compact space, uh, and they do it at a very high and quick level. 
So those things sort of uh, equally sell each other out. I think Hottie's been uh, a big handful for the last two months for Portland, really sort of helping them along to uh, to get to where they are. I know everybody's talked about Duncan Nagby being pushed up a little bit further. I think that's freed up Valeri a little bit to, to, to sit into holes and not have to come back so deep for the ball. Um, but if you're able to shut down Adi physically and, and allow him to not have the presence and time on the ball, I think you shut down a lot of what Portland has going forward. And then I think Columbus going forward, they've, they're just, they've got ways to hurt you with Finley, you know, with pace over the top, uh, running at players with Kai Kamara in the box in the penalty area, scoring goals and Miram being tricky around the ball. And then Iguain finding space to, to be able to, to work, um, uh, into areas that, that, that allows him to make passes that not many people can make. I think those are all, all big parts of it, but the, the X factor I think is going to be the wide play. The right and left backs position for Columbus has been very good. They serve good balls into the penalty area. And I think that's what's going to cause the crew uh, to take this one. Well, there you have it. And we'll continue a little bit more on MLS Cup on the other side of this break. Nate Abarea here with Brian McBride. And uh, referencing all those players from Portland, I've talked about the match uh, quite a few times on the show, the match that I got to see Portland play in about a month and a half ago down in Los Angeles where they were down 1-0 in the 65th minute and won that match 5-2, scored five goals in the final 25 minutes of that thing. When they get flying, let's just say they get flying. We'll talk about Caleb Porter, too, on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. It's World Soccer Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nate Abaurea. Tweet me at NateWSG and get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk. Joined by Brian McBride and Brad Friedel will be joining us a little bit later. It's a it's a Columbus love episode. And as we were just talking about off the air there, both these men also at certain points in their career played in the city of Liverpool. So we'll uh, talk a little bit about the city of Liverpool here with both of these gentlemen. But let's stay focused on the match at hand in Major League Soccer this upcoming Sunday, Brian. And, and we ended that last segment talking about the firepower of the Portland Timbers and how those wing backs are, are so important on the Columbus side and, and containing uh, the, the flying firepower of the Portland Timbers. And when it comes to firepower and just fiery characters, I can't think of anybody more fiery on the Portland side than their manager. How would you, Brian, describe Caleb Porter? Well, I think he's he's uh, had a great career. Uh, he had a, he's had a great career as a coach um, in the college ranks. He is now taking it to the professional side of things. He is an intense um, person, uh, and when uh, I say that, that that's a good thing. Uh, you when you look at what is needed out of a coach these days, is you know I think you need um, to be someone that's very detail-oriented. You need to be able to make sure that your points get across to your players. And you have to, you have to lead a little bit. You have to be able to, to show that you have that, that desire that is needed uh, for the players. And it just rubs off. So you look at uh, a player that sort of epitomizes that is, you know, Chara, 
uh, on on Portman. You know, I don't think I don't think he's ever seen a soccer ball he didn't like to kick, a heel he didn't like to clip, or a tackle he liked to <laughs> uh, tackle. And um, you know, those are the things that that that, that sort of that go under the radar because they're sort of intangibles. But the guys on that are a part of that team, they see it, and it, it just gets them going. It keeps their energy high, and, and uh, regardless if you're home or away, those are the things that um, intangible side of it um, you need. Now, Brian, it's it's a really funny thing here with Caleb Porter because, well, just to put it simply, a lot of people don't like him, and I've I've had guests on this show who who have uh, spoken at length about how much they don't like him, and and I've said some things on this show about Caleb Porter that were were not all too flattering, and and I'm not alone now. The, the funny thing about this is that I love that, and that's why I love Caleb Porter, and I love what he brings to this league. This league needs guys like Caleb Porter, who is beloved by Portland Timbers fans, who is seemingly, I, I can't speak for the players, I'm not in the dressing room, but seemingly loved by his players who will go out there and do everything to play for Caleb Porter. Talk about what he means to Major League Soccer in terms of that, that love-hate relationship that so many people seem to have with him. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know Caleb very much as a person. All I can take away is is you know the results that he's gotten on uh, on the field for his teams throughout his coaching career. Um, his intensity uh, when you come up against it. I'm sure there's times when you know things sort of rub people the wrong way, and that happens. And if you're on the part of that, I can understand you sort of having a, a little uh, a little gripe. Um, but what, what he does is, at least what comes across, is he, he gives the players the, the ideas he wants. It's not a vague scenario, right? A lot of times in this league, there's coaches that um, get into a situation where they know they've got talent, and they don't want to stop that talent from playing, so they don't necessarily put a role on each and every player. And inside that role, of course, they can be dynamic, and they can come up with things that they want to do on the field. But if they don't know what exactly their, their, the idea of their position, what they should be doing uh, throughout different aspects of the game, then you get into, you get into situations where things get sort of jumbled and the game doesn't flow. To me, Caleb, Caleb does a great job of making sure that other teams have that happen to them where they unsettle that the, the teams are going against, uh, they cause, players to really not be in the same sort of form as, as you would expect. And then they get results and they get results from being difficult to beat. Certainly I can understand why, why some people, you know, think he's a little gruff. He can be, um, at least on the sideline. But uh, I think he's a, he's a big contributing factor into the, the style of the way they play. Well, absolutely. Can't, can't wait to get our boy uh, Eric Winalda back on uh, back on the show and discuss this topic uh, with him as well. Hey, uh, Brian, well, it's that's funny. actually it's funny. funny because I talked I talked with Eric gosh, a couple weeks ago and we we're having this conversation and he's like, I'm like, Eric, you, you don't really care for Caleb. He's like, no, 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 I didn't say that. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it depends on what day you catch Eric at. 
no, wait, wait a second. We, we, we discussed it for 45 minutes on the phone, Eric. You, you, you don't really care for him. No, no, but I didn't say, I didn't say those exact words. See, see, Waldo's very good at this. And I'm sure you know this tenfold. He's very good at that strategic, like lawyer stuff where, hey, oh, I, that, that wasn't my exact quote. Don't misquote me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it doesn't work when you actually come out and say, no, I don't like him. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, I, know, I know exactly what you're saying, believe man. Hey, you know what? I, I gotta ask you. About, oh, I, I gotta ask you about something on on an on field strategy level, actually. Now, and it's funny that we're we're talking about Eric Winalda, and it, you're, those are two guys, yourself and and Eric Winalda, who I, I grew up watching and and idolizing as forwards at times, playing as as a partnership up top for the U.S. Men's National Team. And I know Waldo would then go out wide and play in the midfield as well but there's something going on in world soccer right now and that is what what many people oh my god when you talk to talk to old school english folks they call it the death of the 442 the 442 is dying and it's breaking english hearts you know true true english footballing minds but the 442 is a lot more than just england it's it's a worldwide concept and and it is becoming less prevalent and and most clubs around the world have switched to to the one striker setups and figuring out ways to use their wide players more what are your thoughts about this this idea that the concept of a striker partnership is is dying out in in football well i think there's there's something to be said that that formations are changing for sure. Um, I think that the difference is this has always happened. This isn't something that's new because as if you look back, even the time when, when I was a kid, everybody was playing a sweeper, two marking backs, and then you'd have five in the midfield and two forwards, right? I mean, that was the normal setup. And that's that went out the went out the, the way when people started figuring out how to beat that sort of formation. I think that's what's happening with four four two. You're you're getting yourself into situations now where teams are good enough and set up um, to break you down a lot easier. And it's going to be a constant ebb and flow. I'm sure one day the the striker partnership pairing is going to be at the forefront again. But um, this is just the ebb and flow of coaches understanding how to uh, beat formations, making sure tactically they've got things right, but also having the, the players to be able to, to play um, those situations. There's not many out-and-out, you know, number nines anymore. So to, to try and play a four-four-two without a number nine, it's very difficult. If, a, if someone can't hold the ball, you're going to have problems playing in a four-four-two situation. Now, is it something that that you think you could, could could you have played as a as a lone striker? I mean, I mean, it seems like your 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 style during your day depended on on having some some level of partnership. Do you think you could succeed in one of these? Would would you adapt, Brian? Well, you have to adapt, and I did. I did play in a lot of one striker situations, but the the thing with that is it's how a coach sets up the team. Then. So if you play with a one-striker situation where you've got the, the striker, the second striker, or, or the attacking midfielder that plays underneath you, that one needs to make um, make up the ground. You look at the, the way Everton plays sometimes with Lukaku. Whether it's, you know, last year it was Naismith that was making up the ground and being that support player that, that could uh, su- supply some, some cover if need be, if he needed to lay off a ball or flick on a ball. Uh, now it's you know, whether it's Kone, who, who plays out wide left, that pinches in, 
you you still have these scenarios. You know, it's just a matter of a coach figuring out a way to make sure that um, they can still play to their strengths, but also making sure that you're not hurting your team shape in the way you want to defend and the way you want to attack with width. So uh, I, I certainly think there's there's plenty of room for it, but you have to adapt. Like you talked about, yeah, I mean, there'd be adaptation. When I played with in a one-striker scenario, I definitely had to adapt. Now, Brian, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Everton, and, and that's how we got to close here in, in the 60 seconds that we've got left, because you, you spent actually not that long of a spell at Everton. It was a lone spell back in 2003, but when I've spent time in the city of Liverpool and talked with Evertonians, everybody knows about the great American connection with Everton, and you're a name that every old scouser always brings up. Even Liverpool fans, they go, oh, man, he, he was a yank, but he, he had an authentically British style. You, you were, you were so embraced by these fans in terms of your style of play and and in in the under a minute that we got left here just tell us what did the city of liverpool do for you we spoke about fulham last time talk about your time at everton yeah. real quick well i mean it was an amazing time for me you know it was the first opportunity that, for me to play in the premier league david Moyes bringing me on loan of course to preston and then now uh bringing me to everton um it gave me an opportunity to to experience what the premier league had and uh, you then move it forward to the, the first home game at Goodison, and I was just so impressed by the fact that they understood just the little things that go on in the game. If you made a great run and didn't get it, they clap you. If you made a tackle that was, you know, a good tackle that, that was needed, they clap you. If you switched the ball 30 yards, and um, they would clap that. Everything was about understanding the little sides of the game that just give you so much more energy to do it the next time and to, to, to play for the team. Just a, a great first experience for me in the Premier League and something I'll always cherish. Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Tweet us at World Soccer Talk and get a hold of me, Nate Abaurea at Nate WST. Another tip of my cap to Brian McBride. And we've got another former Columbus crew man now with us. One of the greats of all time. One of the greatest to put on the gloves for the U.S. national team and a great Premier League goalkeeper as well. Brad Friedel, how you doing, sir? I'm very well. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing great. And uh, be- before we before we get into this thing, before we talk a little bit about MLS Cup and talk all about the uh, the Tottenham Hotspur America Cup that you are so uh, deeply involved with. Could you have any any good Brian McBride stories? When you think about Brian McBride, a man who was your teammate for, for club and country in your guys' great careers. What's your favorite Brian McBride story? <laughs> Brian McBride. Um, whenever you went into a camp with, uh, with Brian, he was like an enigma. He spent, we'd train twice a day on the field with the team. And then he would spend the rest of the time in the gym. He was never out of the, he was never out of the gym. He'd be wake up in the morning, have his cup of coffee and then go straight to the gym. Then we go train, come back. He'd go straight to the gym. You'd never see the guy. <laughs> now I, I have to ask in terms of what, what, what I've heard from other former teammates of his, his, his intensity level at all times. It wasn't just on the pitch during a match. It was, it was in training. It was in the gym when he's lifting weights or doing whatever he's doing. He was always, always intense, always had that desire. Did you guys ever have any, 
any run-ins on the field as you as a goalkeeper? Because he was never shy for going up for a ball in the box. Did you guys ever ever run into each other nastily in, uh, in a training session? Well, we ran into each other, of course. I wouldn't say it was nastily. I mean, because I, I, I think Brian and I were very similar in, in our intensity levels. Um, you know, Brian, uh, Brian was an ultimate professional, always tried to be at his top peak fitness. And, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. He was very good in the air and did not shy away from challenging balls. You probably tell by the amount of plates he's had in the, in his cheekbone or wherever it was. Um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, we've had our fair share of, uh, collisions, but I wouldn't say nasty. I've got a great relationship with, uh, with Brian. And if, if we ever did collide, then it was, uh, there was no, Nothing malicious intended, I, I assure you. It, it was not like Brian McBride going up for a ball with Jorge Campos or, or Osvaldo Sanchez. No, there was always there was, there was a brotherhood there at the end of it. Hey, let's talk now, uh, Brad, about this uh, Tottenham Hotspur America Cup uh, that you're involved with. The, you're attending. It's the fourth annual Tottenham Hotspur America Cup. You're flying out to Maryland tonight. It's the, the top 30 young players at this event will be rewarded with a chance to train at Tottenham next year. And it really epitomizes Tottenham's drive in America. And we had a, a great guest on the other day from, from a supporters club in Arlington, Virginia. And Tottenham have this amazing aspect about them in terms of American support. They have the most supporters clubs of, of any Premier League club in North America, in, in Canada and the U.S. They have 39 official American supporters clubs. And I feel like this event just epitomizes their drive to the, the American fan base. Talk about your involvement with this event and, and let us know a little bit about this thing. Yeah, well, Tottenham approached me, um, well, it's probably going on five years now, um, I played there four years the first year that uh, that I signed for the club, and they they asked me to give them a lay of the land um, from my perspective in the United States. They've obviously got people um, employed to do their own due diligence, and there's a few and there's a few ways that a lot of a lot of foreign clubs um, are trying to um, market and brand themselves in uh, in this country. And Tottenham chose to do to do it a little bit different than a Manchester United or a Chelsea, if you like, and they've decided to put their actual feet on the ground. Um, you know, we've I've also helped help them get a couple of uh, Tottenham Hotspur clubs involved. You know, they play currently one's down in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, and the others up in uh, Berkeley, California, that play as Tottenham Hotspur uh, Hotspur youth uh, youth developmental clubs. And um, and Tottenham brings their actual employees uh, to the United States to help educate the coaching staff on the ground here. This tournament. Um, is uh, is very much in conjunction with Under Armour being in the Baltimore area, which is the headquarters of Under Armour in the U.S. And it's another opportunity to do something just a little bit different. And giving, um, we have a we have a group of us that are out out there, and we'll be scouting the kids and uh, the best thirty or so players. We'll get the opportunity to go over to Tottenham and train at the facility and play against um, a couple of the Tottenham youth sides. Um, and and it's it's a uh, it's an event that yes is used to market and brand perhaps find a diamond in the rough um, and to uh, and to make a lot of relations in the U.S. Um, you know there's there's been lots and lots of studies over the actual numbers of uh, participants in the United States and it's in the many millions um, and it is uh, it is a vastly untapped market by a lot of a lot of uh, European clubs. Um, not just European. I mean, you see the the Mexican clubs also have a very big uh, say in things in the United States. 
And as the MLS grows and more and more relationships occur with MLS clubs and clubs around the rest of the world, uh, this, this sport is not going to decrease in numbers in the United States. It's just going to increase. And clubs um, that are ambitious, like Tottenham Hotspur, are trying to reap the benefits of that by coming over here. Well, Tottenham is is on that list of, of clubs that you played for, and it was definitely such an important time in your career. It was, it was near the end, and it showed everybody that you, you still had it. I mean, talk about your time at Tottenham after everything that you'd gone through from from MLS, which we'll go back to here in a second, to, to your time at Galatasaray, your time on Merseyside with Liverpool, the incredible spell at Blackburn and, and, and Villa and all these different places that you played. Talk about what Tottenham meant to you and the timing of your time at White Hart Lane. Yeah, well, uh, the timing of it, I was, I was an old man. I was 40 years old. Um, <laughs> and, you know, then, uh, I was uh, very much contemplating retirement. I had been, uh, um, for about a, for about a year. I thought that was going to be it, but I still felt really good. Um, when I, I had an opportunity to sign for a couple clubs, um, actually four, as a matter of fact, at the age of 40. And when I saw the squad list at Tottenham, um, and it never, uh, lived down in London and heard so many great things about the club. Um, I decided to give it a shot, so we moved down there, and um, and what a great uh, what a great decision it was. Um, remarkable part of the world, uh, London. Remarkable people inside of Tottenham, and I, I like the fact that it's a club that uh, doesn't only try to uh, buy their way to success. They they try to build things intrinsically inside the club, and it was it was something that I wanted to be a, a part of. Um, I found. They've happened to uh, find a very good um, manager, Mauricio Pochettino, now, who works very well with the academy director, John McDermott. And his philosophy is, um, is, uh, is different. He likes to incorporate the, the young players, as everyone can see, with the performances on the field and how many homegrown players and, and young English players that are, that are progressing under Mauricio. It's great to see. Um, but, you know, it was equal. It was uh, it was very good to play for Harry Redknapp and Tim and and uh, AVB as well. Um, all different managers, all different philosophies, but it seems like Mauricio is really the one that's uh, that clicked both with board level and with the uh, with the academy. So just a very good time, and I'm um, I'm delighted to be able to stay a part of it uh, in any way in any way that I can. And while I'm here in the U.S. and I know Tottenham wants to grow their brand and they're doing that, as you said earlier in the show, with the amount of supporters group. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to help in any way I can. So I'm going to hop on a flight tomorrow and, and go try to spread the, uh, spread the word about Tottenham. The good, the good Hotspur word. That's right. Again, the fourth annual Tottenham Hotspur America Cup taking place out in Baltimore, Maryland this weekend. Be sure to check that out if you are in that area. Now, Brad, we got to go back to to the MLS Cup final that's coming up this Sunday that we were talking all about uh, with your former teammate, Brian McBride. And I got to ask you the same question that I asked Brian, and that is, what did your time at Columbus mean to you? And as someone who's from Ohio, Talk about what what seeing Columbus become this mecca of American soccer with the the, the Dos Acero folklore with the national team and, and being able to host this MLS Cup final. I mean, Brian said it was beyond anyone's wildest dreams that Columbus would ever become this true American soccer mecca. Talk about what that means to you and what the city means to you to this day. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a, a strange way that I came about um, going there. I was at Galatasaray at the time, and 
for whatever reason, the United States or CONCACAF didn't play their uh, World Cup qualifiers or very many games on international fixture dates. So I was missing, um, I was put in a very difficult spot, either miss a lot of games with Galatasaray um, and then get, and they get absolutely abused in the newspapers over there for doing that, or I would have to not play for a country. So this opportunity came to come back to MLS on, on loan, and I, I had said, no, I'm not really interested uh, to come back unless it's Columbus, and they worked it out, and because I was from Ohio, I ended up doing it, and it, it was a great, it was, it was a short, short time, but a really good time, and uh, you know, to, to see we were changing in the Ohio State Stadium and the small locker rooms and training on auxiliary fields out at Ohio State, and then you fast forward to now, and with their stadium and oh, that's the training facility, and they're in MLS Cup final, and Greg Berhalter hasn't playing so well. Um, we, I was uh, fortunate enough to be involved in a couple of national team games at Columbus Stadium. And, uh, and Brian's right. You know, it's, it, it's probably nobody imagined ever in the wildest dreams that Columbus would, would be sort of a hotbed for soccer. And it's, and it's great to see. And now that uh, Fox doesn't have the final, so I'm not working. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to hold, you know, hold any uh, punches now. So I definitely want Columbus to win this final. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have to, I don't have to go in and, uh, and uh, give credit where credit's due so much to Portland, although they've had a wonderful season. But I do, I do want them just to trip up at this final hurdle and allow Columbus to lift the cup. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure all of our our Portland Timber Army listenership <laughs> no, is just hey, hey, loving listen, the show. <laughs> no, listen, listen, listen. The Portland Timbers Army should be happy with me because I went on, I went on, and I meant it. Um, and I said sorry to the Seattle fans as well. Is that Portland has the best atmosphere? in all of MLS. So I went on record on, on Fox television when they played Dallas and said that the so Portland <laughs> army can't be too upset with me. And you can never be upset with someone for wanting their, one of their old clubs or their home state clubs, if you like to, uh, to win. So they can't be too upset. They, they can't be too upset, but, but I, I do have to just throw out that we, we, we with Brian and yourself. Now we, I, I feel like I have to, for the final, like two minutes of the show, I got to get like a, a former Timbers player on or, or something to hey, kind of, no, you, know, no, no, no. you know what you need to do. You have to say their success is because of another Ohioan in Darlington Nagby. That's what you need to go <laughs> to. Well played, Mr. Friedel. Hey, in the, uh, the three minutes that we've got left here with you, I have to ask you about something that, that you touched on there. And it was actually, you touched on it in your time at Galatasaray and, and the, the balancing of international football with, with club soccer. And that's something that was, was a big deal for you for a long, long time, pretty much for your entire career. Do you ever look at, at those, those two sides of your career differently my my club career or my international career do they do they blend together does one mean more than the other how, how do you feel about that now that now that you're retired from from the game uh both completely different um you're you know playing for your country is the is the ultimate that you can get to um and yes it's the uh, the biggest honor of one's career so uh you play with uh, you play with different players you play with a lot of friends that, that you've grown up to with the national team. And sometimes you, you don't get to see those players for months at a time. Uh, and then you go back and you, you quickly have to uh, reintroduce yourself and you have to play to the, to the highest level. You, you put yourself in another, uh, in another echelon of talent when you get to play 
internationally, and it's entirely different from club soccer. Now, club soccer for me was different as well because I, I obviously started in an era where we didn't have a professional league here. When I, along with uh, quite a few other players, went to Europe, we were thought of as second-class citizens, being American, and we had to, we had to claw and scrape and scrap for every little last bit, last bit of respect. So, um, you know, playing my club soccer, I, I guess the one of the great things was when the English finally didn't deem me as being foreign. You know, that that was probably a, a great time, and you had to think about different things like that. Playing internationally, you never had to think about things like that because you, you're coming back and you everybody's everybody's American and you're playing for, you're playing for your country. Um, there's uh, a lot of different pressure aspects when you play for your country as when you play with certain clubs and, you know, certain clubs actually would have more pressure that on you than playing for the United States, unless you're playing against a Mexico or, you know, somebody of, of that nature. So yeah, entirely different, both uh, wonderful experiences wouldn't change anything um, of, about my career uh, going going back, if I had it all to do it all over again, um, and just uh, the fondest of memories. Now that I'm back in the United States, when I go to these different MLS clubs, and I get to see a lot of people that I haven't seen in years. You know, some some of them that I may not have played, you know, with since early 1990s, and that's a uh, that's a great thing to uh, be able to catch up with people in, in that respect. So fond memories of uh, of both. Brad, real quick, 30 seconds left here with you. Any final words for the state of Ohio and for all of those Columbus Crew supporters listening into the show today? No, the Columbus Crew supporters are, are going to be great. They're going to be in fine voice, um, as, as we all know. You know, and No matter what happens in the game, uh, just continue to support the team, support what Anthony Precourt's doing, what Greg's doing, and uh, you know, long may continue. Hopefully you have a long, uh, a long ride of, uh, of success. And when the bad times do come, which they do, and all in, in uh, every team's history stick with them because they're a good group of people there absolutely brad friedel this has been an immense pleasure and privilege you're welcome back on the show anytime best of luck out in maryland this weekend really appreciate your time sir my pleasure guys again that was brad friedel we're back after this closing this baby out right here on world soccer talk radio sports byline broadcasting network i know you Another big thank you to Brad Friedel as well as Brian McBride, two legends on the radio with us today. Big thank you to both those gentlemen, and I know they will be rooting hard for the Columbus crew come Sunday. And it's time to lay down a little fearless Friday forecast prediction. One game, one game only. Columbus 3, Portland 2. You heard it right here on World Soccer Talk Radio in extra time. That's right. Talking a little inspiration from MLS Cup 1996 when D.C. beat L.A. 3-2 in extra time. Columbus 3, Portland 2. That's my pick. I'm sticking with it. My name's Nate Abarea. I will talk to you on Monday. Have a great footballing weekend. Enjoy this cup final. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 